Good morning, Grace. Uh, let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're continuing our series called Deep Things, Delighting in the Triune God. And today we're going to look at how the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is here with us, the people of God, and our relationship to Him and our relationship to His Word and how all of that works together in community. So let's pray and we will begin. Father, once again, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you dwell with the people who do make mistakes on the stage, whether it's music or preaching or praying or giving announcements. You dwell with people who make mistakes at the workplace. You dwell with people who make mistakes in their homes. You dwell with people who sin. And you dwell with us because of your son, Jesus Christ. And all that he has done for us. And we thank you for that, God. That your steadfast love endures forever. May your spirit open our eyes to understand another depth of the triune God this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Left to ourselves, we can come up with some crazy conclusions. Billy Graham was returning to Charlotte, North Carolina after a speaking engagement, and when he arrived at the airport, there was a limousine there to pick him up and take him home. He approached the driver before he got in the limo, and he said, You know, I'm 87 years old, and I've never driven a limo before. Would you mind if I drive for a while? And the driver, recognizing that it was Billy Graham, one of the greatest preachers that we've known, said, no problem, have at it, Mr. Graham. So Billy gets into the driver's seat, and he begins driving. And a short distance away, a rookie state trooper is operating his very first speed trap. And so the black limo flies through 70 miles per hour in a 55-mile-per-hour zone. The trooper easily caught up with the limo, pulled the limo over, got out of his patrol car to begin the procedure. The young trooper walked up to the driver's door, and when the window came down, he was surprised to see who was driving. It was Billy Graham. So he immediately excused himself, walked back to his patrol car, called his supervisor and said, I know we are supposed to enforce the law, but I also know that important people are given certain courtesies. I need to know what I should do because I have stopped a very important person. The supervisor asked, is it the governor? Young trooper said, no, he's more important than that. The supervisor said, oh, so it's the president. The young trooper said, no, he's even more important than that. After a moment, the supervisor finally asked, well, then who is it? And the young trooper said, I think it's Jesus because he's got Billy Graham for a chauffeur. (laughs) I don't know if that story's true. I, I doubt it. But it does reinforce a point. Left... To ourselves, we can come up with some crazy conclusions. And the same is true when it comes to the Bible. 
You can make the Bible sing any song you want to. You can make the Bible say whatever it is that you want it to say. You can use God's word to justify anything in your life. Left to ourselves, we can come up with some crazy ideas out of the Bible. When it comes to reading God's word by ourselves, we need a chaperone because throughout church history people have not been a gentleman when they've handled scripture all by themselves our big idea today is this good theology happens in community Good theology doesn't just happen. We saw that several weeks ago. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes study. But good theology doesn't just happen in private. Good theology doesn't just happen when it's you and your Bible. Good theology happens in community, in the church where the Spirit of God is, where the people of God who are indwelt by the Spirit of God are. That's one of the biggest things that I learned in my church history classes and my systematic theology classes at Dallas Seminary from Dr. Jeff Bingham and Dr. Glenn Cryer. They drilled into me the importance of reading Scripture in community. So let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. Let's actually do what Paul is asking Timothy to do in this passage. Beginning in verse 13, Paul says to Timothy, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. The communal element of Christianity, of discipleship, is all over this passage. Paul is telling Timothy that that good theology happens when Scripture is read publicly, when people are exhorted by Scripture publicly through preaching and through teaching. That's community. Paul is telling Timothy that the church community, the council of elders, laid their hands on Timothy, recognizing God's gifting in his life and calling in his life to pastoral ministry. That happened In community. Paul tells Timothy to practice and to immerse himself into scripture. And all that Paul has been teaching him. So that. Now notice the purpose clause there. So that the whole church can see Timothy's progress. Immerse yourself in the scriptures Timothy. So that everyone in the church can see you growing as a disciple. It's community. Paul tells Timothy to keep a close watch on his life and teaching or his life and doctrine because he will save himself and his hearers. It all happens in community. Good theology happens in community. But what about having a quiet time? What about me 
personally reading the Bible by myself. Aren't we supposed to read the Bible as an individual? Yes. Paul tells Timothy that here. Immerse yourself in them. Immerse yourself in your studies. Immerse yourself in what I have been teaching you. But I have no hope in just private Bible reading. I have no optimism in only individual Bible study. Why? Because every generation and every individual has their own way of reading Scripture. Why no hope? Because we always bring three things to the text, three things to the Bible when we read it. We bring prejudice, we bring presuppositions, and we bring pre-understanding every time we open this book. I read the Bible as a white, evangelical, 40-year-old male with a THM degree from Dallas Seminary who grew up in Oklahoma and then moved to Texas and now is living in California. Those are the glasses, the lenses by which I read Scripture. And that's why I have no optimism exclusively in reading the Bible all by myself. I need the church community. I need you to help me read and interpret Scripture. Can you help me read the Scriptures outside of my whiteness? Because when I read the Bible, I bring my whiteness to it. I need you and others who have lived before me in church history to help me become and stay a good theologian. Understand this grace. The emphasis on private Bible study is modernism gone wild. Modernism shouted, I think, therefore I am. Rene Descartes, not we think, therefore we are. Modernism is all about the individual. It is not about community. Modernism and now postmodernism is all about me and not about us. But standing in stark contrast to modernism and postmodernism is the church which has always read God's word in community with one another. I'm not saying don't have your quiet time. I'm not saying don't read the Bible by yourself. I am not saying that. Understand that. Do not leave here thinking I'm saying, I am not telling you, do not read the Bible by yourself. Read the Bible by yourself. You need to do that. You must do that. You must have your quiet time. Read your Bible. Please read your Bible. But the most important aspect of your Bible intake is doing it in community with other believers. My quiet time, my personal time, is when I sleep. Because when I wake up, I'm surrounded by community. I'm surrounded by a four-year-old girl who wants cereal and she can't pour the milk, so she needs daddy. I'm surrounded by a one-year-old baby who has a diaper that's about to explode and she needs help in the morning. I'm surrounded by sinful human beings who want to control the remote control. And I am surrounded by a beautiful woman who is still with me after all these years. When I wake up, I am surrounded by community. 
The Christian life is all about community. Your private Bible study is not any more important than being involved in community with others because this is where the Holy Spirit is. The third person of the Trinity is here in the church community. So the high point of your private spirituality is not your private Bible reading. Read your Bible, but then come here or go to Starbucks and meet with other Christians or in a small group or in a Sunday school class and say, I was just reading the book of Deuteronomy in my quiet time. What do you think about this verse? What do you think it means? And we did this yesterday at men's breakfast. It was great. Someone sharing their struggle and sharing scripture and wrestling with scripture and other people sharing scripture. That's what we're supposed to do together. See, we can be very sloppy with our exegesis and our interpretation of Scripture when we're left all to ourselves. That's why we need the church community to help us interpret the Bible. I can be sloppy with my interpretation of Scripture. You can be sloppy with your interpretation of Scripture. Charles Spurgeon was sloppy with his interpretation of Scripture. And look, I don't mean to throw him under the bus because he's one of my heroes. I read his sermons and say, how did you get that? It's awesome. How did you find that in the text? He's one of my heroes. But his interpretation of Judges 4 is sloppy. When Jael drives that tent peg through Sisera's head as he's sleeping on the ground, it is not a picture of the mortification of sin, which is what Spurgeon said when he preached his sermon, Sin Slain, on July 9th, 1860. There are plenty of passages that talk about putting sin to death, mortification of sin, but Judges 4 is not one of them. We can come up with some crazy conclusions when we're left all to ourselves in the Bible. In fact, I knew a friend many years ago who came to me one day and he said, Benji, I think myself and my other friend, I think we are the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11. He was dead serious because he's reading the Bible alone and not reading it in community. Now, he's, I assume he's got about 60 years. If he's lucky, left of his life, maybe he will be one. I doubt it, but I could be wrong. When we get together as a church community to read Scripture, it is better than your quiet time. Modernism and postmodernism says it's all about the individual. That's why we say things like, I don't care what you think. I'm going to do what I think is right. That's true for you. That's not true for me. But Christianity has always been about the community. Worshiping God has always been about doing it in community where the Spirit of the Lord is. That's why Jesus said this in Matthew 5, verses 23 to 24. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. If you're on your way to worship and you remember that your brother has something against you, Jesus says, stop, go make it right, and then go worship. 
private worship is pagan. Individual Christianity is pagan. You cannot worship God in community if you have something against someone in community. You cannot worship God if you are out of sync with the community. If all you do, and we've all met those people who say, I'm a Christian, I don't ever go to church, it's me and Jesus in my Bible. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Private worship is not God's design. What did God say concerning Adam in Genesis 3.18? It's not good that the man should be alone. Notice that Adam did not reply this way. He did not say, but I'm not alone, God. I have you, me and you in this private, intimate, wonderful relationship. I don't need anyone, God, because I have you. And what did God say, paraphrasing? You're alone, Adam. You need community. I'll make you a helper. So God made the animals. Before he made Eve, the point is this. Adam, it is better to be with animals than to be by yourself. It's better to hang out with animals than to be by yourself. You were made for community, but that does not mean you become one of those crazy cat ladies that has like 300 cats in her home. But it's better to be with animals than to be by yourself. So if you live at home, all by yourself, get a goldfish, get a cat, get something. But animals were not enough for Adam, so God made Eve. Adam needed another human being. Adam, living in the Garden of Eden, before sin entered the world, in this perfect, intimate relationship with the triune God, he needed community. Okay, let me say that again. Adam, living in the Garden of Eden, before sin entered the world, in this perfect, intimate, wonderful relationship with the triune God, he needed community to be Out of community is to be alone. And God said to be alone is not good. What does John say in 1 John 4.20? The man who says he loves God but hates his neighbor is a liar. Modernity has tricked us into thinking that you can have life outside of the community. Modernity has deceived us into thinking that we can have a relationship with God outside the church, apart from the church. Wrong. Your relationship with God is intricately tied to the church community. Why? Because the triune God who has saved you from your sins dwells in community. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit have always dwelled together in community. And we'll see more of that in the coming weeks. And I hope it blows your mind as we look at the relationship that has always existed between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So next week, make sure you come in and put on your seatbelts. Because it's awesome. Your relationship with God is intricately tied to the church community. Husbands, don't think you can be a jerk to your wife and have it not affect your life. Peter tells us that in 1 Peter 3, 7, that my paraphrase, if you're a jerk to your wife, 
then your prayers, your relationship with the triune God will be affected. To think that you can pray while you dishonor your wife is telling yourself and believing a lie. Good theology happens in community. It happens here as we hear the word of God taught and preached each Sunday morning and each Sunday night. It happens in Grace Seminary classes and in Sunday school classes. It happens in small groups. It happens in Bible studies. It happens as parents are discipling their kids. It happens here on Wednesday night at Awana. That's why Paul tells Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture to exhortation or preaching and to teaching because Paul knew that good theology happens in community. Good theology happens not just in our present community, but also in the community of the past, in the community of church history. Scripture is read not just in community today, but also in the stream of church history. And that's why we looked several weeks ago at the Nicene Creed. Unfortunately, Christians in churches today aren't too familiar with their past. We're obsessed over this century and this generation. And that's why we aren't concerned or familiar with what people in the past have said about God. We tend to read books and commentaries that are new. We tend to think that the 2013 commentary on the Bible or the 2013 book that came out is better than a book from the 18th century. We tend to think that the way we do church today is better than how it was done in the past. If you haven't figured it out yet, I'm not into doing fancy church with all of the gimmicks and strategies that people propose today. I'm what you would call old school. I want to place the emphasis on preaching the gospel and administering the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper and making disciple-making disciples and doing church discipline. But so many churches today are obsessed with the present. We think current Bible study methods are better than those used in the second century. We think that the way we do church is better than it was in ages past. Really? Has God been waiting for our century? Has God been waiting for our methods and the way we do Christianity so that he can finally move in this world? No. To believe that is heresy. It's pneumatological heresy. It's a heresy that denies The Holy Spirit. It's a heresy that denies the third person of the Trinity. Why? Because when we think this way, when we think our generation, our way of doing church is the best, now God can move. When we think that way, we grieve the Holy Spirit. We tell him, we don't need you, Holy Spirit, to be effective. We need to be relevant. We need to be cool. We need to be hip. And that's how you'll move, God. 
understand this grace. The church and the effectiveness of the church has never, ever depended upon our innovation and our creativity. The effectiveness of the church has always depended on the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. The church and the effectiveness of the church has never, ever, ever depended on our innovation and our creativity and how cool and hip and relevant we can be. The effectiveness of the church has always, always depended on the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. He is, as we were just singing, the ever lasting God. He's very old. He's been around a while. And because he's been around a while, we bring nothing new to the church. Everything that the church needs to be effective was given to us at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. The great heresy of the church today is that we don't rely upon the Spirit to build the church and to make disciples. Instead, we rely on our ideas, our creativity, our innovations, our methods. Somewhere along the way, churches have lost sight of what we're supposed to be doing. What did Jesus say in John 14, 25 to 26? These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit is our helper. Therefore, reliance upon the Holy Spirit is the essential component of Christianity and discipleship. Tell me, what in the world did Christians do before they had their own personal copy of the Scriptures? Most of us have several copies, don't we? What in the world did the church do before they had Bible computer programs like Logos and Accordance and Bible Works? What in the world did the church do before Beth Moore? What in the world did the church do before John MacArthur or R.C. Sproul? And I'm not knocking those people because I love them. The church had the Holy Spirit. And they read the scriptures, God's word together in community where the spirit of the Lord was. They interpreted scripture together in community. As Jeff Bingham says, the interpretation How the early church interpreted scripture. The interpretation of scripture passed down by the apostles and preserved by the bishops was a safeguard in the face of heretics who also appealed to scripture. You know heretics always appeal to scripture too, right? I just had a conversation with a man in the park yesterday who said, I used to be a Christian. I'm on the cusp of converting to Judaism. And he's appealing to scripture. And so am I. Everyone appeals to Scripture. That's what we saw several weeks ago 
when we went back to the fourth century to see how the church, the early church, dealt with bad theology. We saw that the early church fought to defend the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. We saw a heretic by the name of Arius who began to teach that Jesus was not the eternal Son of God. We saw how the church community came together at the Council of Nicaea and that they issued a statement, the Nicene Creed, to state explicitly what the church for centuries had held and believed implicitly it was because this false teaching went up rose up that the church had to come together and say this is what we believe we've always believed this now we're going to put it down on paper because you're appealing to scripture and we're appealing to scripture we're going to tell you what the church must believe so a few years went by and as with every generation false teaching rears its ugly head in fact that's what paul told timothy and 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. So look at the top of your chapter there. Paul says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. And so a few years go by after Nicaea, and the church had to deal with issues concerning the Holy Spirit. They established what they believed about the deity of Jesus Christ, that he was God, had the same essence and nature as God the Father. They dealt with that at Nicaea, but the time came where once again they had to explicitly state what they believed about the Holy Spirit, what they had implicitly believed all along. If you remember the Nicene Creed, this is all it said about the Holy Spirit. We believe in one Holy Spirit. That's all they had to say. But then false teaching came along, and they said, we've got to expand on that. So the Second Ecumenical Council held in Constantinople in 381 filled out what the Council of Nicaea had left unsaid about the Holy Spirit. They once again made a move to explicitly state what they implicitly believed. People began teaching, well, the Holy Spirit, as Jesus said, is sent from God, but he's not God. He doesn't have the same essence or nature as God the Father and God the Son. So this council at Constantinople was convened by Emperor Theodosius I, and 150 church leaders agreed on two pivotal ideas. They ratified with minor alterations the Nicene Creed, and secondly, they added a statement on the Holy Spirit which declared him one in substance or essence or nature with the Father and Son. What they were saying is that the Holy Spirit is just as much God as God the Father is and God the Son is. And although this creed, the Creed of Constantinople, was not officially received until its reading at the Council of Chalcedon 70 years later, it accurately reflects the faith of the Council in 381. Here's the addition concerning the Holy Spirit. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, Yahweh is what they're saying. The Lord and life giver who proceeds from the Father who is worshipped and glorified together with the Father and the Son who spoke through the prophets. So our heroes during this time in church history, the good theologians that came together in community to defend the deity of the Holy Spirit were Basil of Caesarea, Gregory of Nyssa, and Gregory of Nazianzus. These men courageously defended the deity of the Holy Spirit in community with other believers. 
we must take Paul's challenge to Timothy seriously. Just like these Cappadocian fathers did, Basil and the two Gregories that I mentioned. We must read the scriptures privately and individually. So don't leave here, please, saying, Benji said I should never read the Bible by myself. Read the Bible by yourself. But we must, it is imperative that we must also read it together in community with one another. We read it together in community here with one another. And we read it in community, the community of church history. We get our understanding of the Trinity by reading scripture together in community here and with the community of church history. That's what the creeds are doing. That's what the confessions are doing, like the Westminster Confession of Faith, which I just read this last week. The Westminster Directory of Public Worship, the guys that put together the Westminster Confession of Faith, listen how community came together for them. They were appointed by the British Parliament to restructure the Church of England, and they met 1,163 times between 1643 and 1649 to put on paper what they believed. 1,163 times these men met. Here's what they said about the public reading of Scripture, of public reading of the Holy Scriptures. This is the very last paragraph which they're talking about what Paul's talking about to Timothy. Beside public reading of the Holy Scriptures, every person that can read is to be exhorted to read the Scriptures privately, and all others that cannot read, if not disabled by age or otherwise, are likewise to be exhorted to learn to read and to have a Bible. They were not against private reading. They said you have to have both. We become good theologians who think rightly about the triune God when we read scripture together in community because we are all baptized into one body, which is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, We were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Good theology happens in community. Not just our community here, but with the community of church history. We hold to the beliefs and the traditions that were passed down from the apostles and prophets who saw and spoke and lived with Jesus, that they passed down to the early church, that they passed down. The problem with churches and Christians today is that we have chronological snobbery. And we think it's not important to read what people in the past have said about God. Many churches don't value tradition the tradition that was handed down to us from the apostles and prophets to the early church and then passed down and passed down. Jeff Bingham says this, you cannot trust me to be a gentleman with scripture on a date by myself, unobserved and unmonitored. You must send a chaperone. Tradition. I don't want to date tradition, but scripture 
I am interested in having a relationship with Scripture. But in order for it to be fruitful, I have to bring in tradition. Tradition helps me stay in the straight and narrow. If you read the Bible all by yourself, and you never read it in community with others, and you never read it with the tradition that has come down to us in 2,000 years of church history, you will not be a gentleman with Scripture. You'll be unobserved and unmonitored. You cannot trust me to be a gentleman with the Scripture on a date by myself. Unobserved and unmonitored, you must send a chaperone. Tradition. I don't want to date tradition, but Scripture. I am interested in having a relationship with Scripture, but in order for it to be fruitful, I have to bring in tradition. Tradition keeps me, helps me stay in the straight and narrow. We need a chaperone when we, need, when we read Scripture. And that chaperone is the Holy Spirit as he has moved the people of God and taught the people of God throughout church history. We need the community of God here today where the Spirit of the Lord is. Otherwise, we will come up with some crazy ideas about the Bible. We will come up with some crazy conclusions if all we do is read the Bible by ourselves. We get our understanding of the Trinity by reading Scripture together in community where the Spirit of God dwells. We become good theologians who think rightly about the triune God by reading Scripture together in community, in our local church, and with the historical church. Good theology happens in community. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and that you preserved it for hundreds of years, thinking about the Old Testament for thousands of years. And you inspired men to write your word so that we could know about you and know you and so that we could be good theologians. And Father, you inspired and raised up godly men and women throughout church history who stood up when people contradicted your word. And we thank you for them. May we do the same here today. And may we pass on the legacy to the next generation that we worship the triune God as revealed in Scripture One God eternally existing in three persons. All who are to be worshipped as God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Help us to be good theologians for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.